A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would settle our hearts and enable us to receive your word. Settle this congregation, we ask you. And Lord, if there's some or one here who is not yet even saved, we pray this morning that you would call them by thy spirit and word. Pray, O God, that they would find themselves at the cross. They'd find themselves under the blood of the Lamb. Father, thank you. We wait upon your anointing. We wait on your spirit to mantle us, Father. We thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us for your blessing in us glorify your son we ask it in Jesus name Amen three men are invited to a supper and three men give three excuses why they shouldn't come What have these three men to offer? Uh, Nothing. What have these three men to bring? They might ask, well, should I bring something? But in verse 17 it says, Come, for all things are now ready. A picture of Christ and his great sacrifice in Calvary. A picture of the cross work of Christ when the Lamb of God was slain and everything is ready for you to come to be saved, for you to come to have your sins forgiven. But these men bring three excuses, and they are three lame excuses. The first one says in verse 18, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go see it. I pray thee have me excused. Who buys a piece of ground without looking at it? Who buys a piece of ground without looking at it? A lame excuse. The second one is no better. He says in verse 19, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray they have me excused. Excuse number two, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I mentioned this last Sunday night at the after church rally with the youth. And the youth are so faithful, they were here with over 300 of them here. And some of them were talking about their farming, and their, I'm a Belfast man, but they're talking about their farming and all that sort of stuff. So I said, how many of you would go and buy a tractor without trying it out? Or a farm without going to see it? 
How many would buy an oxen to plow the field without trying them first? Are they fit well and do they pull together? What an excuse to come to the Lord with. And the third one, well, he's the best excuse of the whole lot. My wife won't let me. (laughs) Still an excuse. And brother, sister, friend, none should keep you away from coming to Christ. Not even your spouse should keep you away from answering the call of Christ in your life. There's none or nothing should keep you away from answering and following Christ. My workmates, my schoolmates, my university pals, my so-and-so, whoever it may be, my family, my wife, my husband, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, none should keep a man and a woman away from the call of Christ in their life and from coming to Christ. For what would they say? You let the Lord deal with that and you come to Christ. What lame excuses? Is there somebody here and you have been knowing that Christ has been speaking to you, Christian? And you have made an excuse why you shouldn't? Why you can't? Maybe someone unsaved and you have an excuse. Why you're not coming and answering the call of Christ, the drawing of him, you know that he's real, you know and heard the word maybe before, and yet you procrastinate and you hold back and you won't come. Well, maybe the Lord has you here then this morning to hear this word. And you may come with an excuse. I remember I was working... And it was about 1986, I think, 87. And I got a job driving a van up the Shankle Road in Belfast. And it was in the first morning, I was in the office, and the boss was there, the manager was there, and they were going to tell me all to do with the firm, all to do with the works of it. And lo and behold, it was about, it was a quite an early sort of start, it was about a 7 a.m. start in the morning. And we were sitting talking, and about half seven, quarter to eight, this car drives up. You can see it through the window. And I remember the boss saying to the manager, there's this guy's name. I'll call him Billy. There's Billy, late as usual. And they turned to me and said, where do you hear the excuse he gives us this morning for being late? And Billy came in and they called him into the office. Billy, late again. You're late again. And Billy said, and this is the truth, I was driving my car out the drive and the wind was too strong to get up the hill. (laughs) I'll never forget it. That's what this man said. I wonder what Christ thinks when we give him our excuses. And we laughed at that, how ridiculous How ridiculous it is. I wonder what the Lord Jesus Christ thinks when you and I give him our excuses why we can't or why we don't. So what is your excuse then? We're going to look, we'll need to go into next week, we'll look at people's excuses. Some might have a legitimacy in areas, but let's look at 
the excuses. These three men have made excuse to the Lord Jesus Christ why they haven't come, why they won't answer the call. Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's read from verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have set this day, I have, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. Notice Jeremiah, his excuse. Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a child. I remember November 2004, I was pastoring in Dublin at the time. And we come up to the church at Whitewell every, I did for every Monday. You remember that, Norman? And I remember I sat at the, I came walking in and all the pastors were there on a big long table. And there was Past McConnell right down the bottom. He goes, come here, son, come here. Sit here. Sat beside him and he, he says to me, I want you to do something for me. I says, okay, what is it? I want you to preach at a, a, a big youth rally we're having. I said, okay. And I looked down at another pastor, Shaw Higgins, because he'd already asked me to preach at a youth rally. I thought it was the same one. And Shaw Higgins went to me, it's not it. It's not the same not the same one. He didn't want the bishop to see him. He's going, it's not the same. And I says, well, what is it? He says, I, I said to Shaw, I says, it's not the same. He went, no. And the, so the bishop hit me a dig in the leg. No, it's not the same. He says, it's a Sunday night. I'll be away and I want you to preach. So long story short, I said, yes, and Austin and I are driving down on the Sunday evening that I was going down to preach. She was in the car with me and I says, I can't do this. She says, why? I says, because my knees are knocking together. I was used to a small, maybe 50 people, 60 people in Dublin. And Whitewell was in its heyday with a bishop preaching. Full to the back. Right up to the top. It was packed. And I'm driving up. And I pulled the car over to stop. And I said, I'm not going. (laughs) I, I can't do this. I'm not going. 
She says, can you have to go? Because you're the preacher. And I was trying to make excuse why I couldn't go. And I knew if I didn't, the bishop would have killed him if he'd seen me. But I went anyhow. And people were saved. People were saved. And some weeks later, this woman who I don't know, and I still wouldn't know her today, came to me and said, my husband got saved that night. And he died a couple of weeks later. What would have happened if I had have kept making the excuses, I can't. I am but a child. I, I can't speak. can't do this. What would have happened if there was none that would stand on that platform that day? You were, you were leading the beating at the start, Norman, I think. What would have happened if everyone taking part didn't turn up? I can't because I get the nerves. I can't because of this. Or you feel your inadequacy. We're going to look at these things. So what is your excuse then when you are called by God to do something, to go somewhere, to reach out or whatever? What is your excuse? I'm not talking about when a man tries to lay something on you. I'm talking about when God calls you. Notice in verse 5, the Lord says, I knew you and formed you in your mommy's belly. I knew your weakness and I knew your timidity. I know your makeup. Again, another excuse why, or another reason, pardon me, why the, the abortion is wrong. God knows every little child in the womb. People say, well, why, if God is so good, why would God not send someone or give someone the ability to heal cancer? To, to heal tumors. If God's so loving, why does he not send someone who is so good that, that they can do this and they, they, they have a technique or they can make something up that it can be applied to all of these illnesses and even little children passing away with it. If God is so good, why doesn't he send someone to do this? Do you ever, does it ever cross your mind that maybe he did and someone aborted them? Maybe he had and someone aborted them. Remember Revelation 12, the woman giving birth to the child and the devil tries to defraud Christ himself. Remember Herod, the child killer, before Christ could come up. You see, the devil always wants to take that from which God is doing. And hence he'll put something in your heart, your mind, either to hold you back from coming to Christ before you're saved, or when the call of God is on your life, to hold you back from fulfilling the purpose of it. Let's not look at God and say, why has he not sent someone who has the ability to, to make up something that, that can cure cancers? Maybe he did. The devil through abortion has had it destroyed. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, 
for I am a child. He wasn't a child. He was a young man between 17, maybe to 20, 21. But he was given God a reason why he can't answer the call. You see, it was a big call on Jeremiah's life. I mean, a massive call in Jeremiah's life. And there it is in verse 15, pardon me, uh, verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet to the nations, plural. Me? <laughs> Let your eye run down to this calling here in verse 10. He says, see, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And Jeremiah's going, this is me you're talking about. I can't, Lord. Excuse, excuse, excuse. I remember when Alison and I were writing our book. We were looking for a title. And we thought, well, I thought I had one. And I was so serious about this. And our publisher came and he said, have you got your title yet? I says, yes. Well, what is it? Are you sure, Lord? Said, you can't call your book, are you sure, Lord? I says, why? He says, it seems as though God isn't sure. I says, no, I'm asking the Lord, are you sure? Because this is me. It's me. You know, the man in the pulpit, the man who does the preaching, the man who would visit the sick and pray with you, you know that man, that he's just a man. He's only a man. And he's a man who's lifted from the mire. And I said, Lord, I know many times, are you sure? Who am I to handle your word? Who am I to shepherd a flock? Who am I to stand behind the sacred desk of the pulpit and bring the word and break the bread of life to people? Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure? He says, no, you can't call it that. And then we come up with the title that we had. Notice, Jeremiah is saying, Lord, it's me. And maybe you're in the predicament at the minute where God has been laying it on you and you've used every single excuse under the sun, as we say. Every single excuse why you can't or why you don't or why you won't. Has God been speaking to your heart why you haven't been in that closet in prayer as much as you used to? Maybe God has even been speaking to your heart why you haven't been as faithful to the, the meetings the way you used to. Maybe God has spoken to you and said, when was the last time you were at a midweek prayer meeting? Or maybe God is calling you to do something you feel inadequate and you say, I can't, Lord, but I'm a child. There's no excuse in God because even though Jeremiah was a young man, even though he was a young man, God not only knew him from before the foundation of the world, but God formed him in his mom's, mother's belly. And he ordained him a prophet and was sending him to the nations. Now, in your economy and on my economy, 
You and I would look at that in the flesh and say, this is impossible. There's no way that I could ever do this. There's no way I could ever do this. There's no way that I could ever go or I could ever be or I could ever achieve this. But brothers and sisters, Jeremiah did it because the call of God was in it. And you can do it if the call of God is in it. It's not off you and it's not off me. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And the problem and the danger lies when you and I think it rests on us. But when it's of him, things change. Notice here Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's ah, Lord God. Ah, Lord God. There's actually four of these. There's four of these in the book of Jeremiah. And every one of them has an exclamation mark in the end of it. Our Lord God, exclamation mark, four times. Again, the first is in our reading in verse 6. Then said I, our Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a child. In other words, the exclamation mark speaks of the, the passion of this. Maybe even the panic of this. You know when God speaks and you panic because you know it's him? You panic because you know it's him. Oh, Lord God! That's where it reads. I cannot speak. I'm only a child. God says, never mind you saying you're only a child. I've called you. I'll equip you. So the first one is in our reading. Look at the, the second one then, if you will. Second is in chapter 4. And verse 10. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people on Jerusalem, saying, Ye shall have peace, whereas the sword reacheth unto the soul. The Lord was calling Jerusalem to repentance. They had a promise of God. They had a promise, but he was calling them to repentance. Come before me and get it right. Bring it before me, Jerusalem, people of Jerusalem, house of Judah. Bring it before me and get it right, for I have a great promise for you. And then all of a sudden their promise was this. You're going into captivity for 70 years. What sort of a promise is that? In other words, you're going to go through a tough time and a hard time. But I will keep you and bless you in that time. I wonder how many of us would willingly go to Babylon from Jerusalem when the enemy comes because God told them. God said, you go with them and I'll look after you. Lord, if I go there, there's going to be trouble. If I say that, it's going to be terrible. If I go and lay out everything before them. They're going to fall out with me. If I tell them the gospel, if I go and take my stand, it's going to look really bad on me. And now the people of Jerusalem are coming to Jeremiah and they're saying, you promised us. You said, thus saith the Lord. You said it was his word. And we find here that Jeremiah is now turning to the Lord and said, ah, Lord God, notice exclamation mark, Surely thou hast greatly deceived this people on Jerusalem, saying, Ye shall have peace, whereas the sword 
reacheth unto the soul. The enemy is at our gate. The enemy is even piercing us through. And you promised us a great promise. Brothers and sisters, do you not know that God's delays are not God's denials? Jeremiah was bringing this to the Lord because the people were bringing it to Jeremiah. Think about this. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 2 says this. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house, house of feasting. For that is the end of all men and the living will lay it to heart. Wow. The idea of this is you learn more. We should learn more when we go to a house of mourning than we do when we go to a place of feasting. Because it brings the mortality of man, the end of all things, should Jesus tarry. It brings it right to our own door. If you and I were to go and live it up in the house of feasting, partying all the time, and as it were, you know, we're, we're having fellowship all the time, and it's nothing but even in church we're coming and we're praising, we're worshiping, and there's some churches that just sing all day and have a 10-minute thought. No word of God. But it's all partying, as it were. It's all feasting. It's all good times. It's all good things. It's all soft words. Pats in the back and pumping up your tires to make sure that nothing is said that might challenge. But there you don't realize there's coming a day upon all of us, should Christ tarry, when we must make sure we are right before God, for we don't know the day nor the hour where we'll be in the same position as the one that's being buried. Makes us realize one day that's me. Makes us realize one day that will be me. And you lay it to your heart. Lord, when I meet you, I want to make sure I'm not embarrassed and ashamed. Lord, when I stand before you, you've called me to be, you've called me to go, you've said to me to do. You've said and you've called and you've told me and I've procrastinated and I've put it off and Sure, I just could take you or leave you. I could take your house or leave your house. I could take your word and leave it. I would pray one minute and not talk to you for a month the next. And I had no real experience or encounters with you. You stand before him. Will you be ready? This isn't a game, brothers and sisters. The problem with many Christians is they act such a way for this reason because they don't fully believe that which they say they believe. Because they don't fully believe that which they say they believe. If you really believed, if I really believed there is a real heaven again and a hell to shun, we would be on our toes every day. We'd be crying 
and crying and weeping for our people. Pressing on in God. Trying to live right before Him. Serving Him with everything we have. Even as much as we served the devil when we were in the world. Come on, brother or sister. You know, if you were in the world when you were, before you were saved, you know what you gave, the time you gave. You know what you spent. You know the, the hours that you loved. And all night would have been nothing to sit in a club or a pub. You know that. Or a house full of it. You'd have thought nothing of it. And as you get up the next morning, maybe if you were like me, you went on to do it again. And again and again. And you loved it so much, the passion in your heart, you ran and you chased after it because that's all your heart would accept. Oh, I love to be out. I love the party. I love the drink. I love the drugs or whatever it may be. And you craved it. But Christ, you're meant to love Christ and you can take him or leave him. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what's your excuse there? Boy, that's hard for a Sunday morning, isn't it? I got up out of bed in a good mood. I got up out of bed in a good mood. So what is your excuse then? I want to ask you, do you love him? Do you love him? So what is your excuse then? And what would be your excuse when you stand before him? See the word love, agapeo it is, it means a love which is called out of the heart. A love which is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object which is loved. In other words, that which is so prized in your heart, prized in your life, that which is so prized, it calls the love, calls the love out of your heart. I love to live like this. That's my heart's love. And the word of God says, well, don't love the world like that. Don't let the world call the love out of your heart. Because if it does, then you don't love the Father the way you should. So, to go to the house of mourning, we learn we have a limited time. As we're saved, we have a limited time, and the time we do not know before we stand before him. Look at me, before you stand before him. Before you stand before him. Look at me. Before you stand before him. Before you stand before God. Are you ready? Are you saved? But are you ready? Before you stand before him. 
Or will you be a shamed Christian when you do? Jeremiah, he sees the pain that Jerusalem is in. Where's the promise? He's asking, but God says, come repent and watch the blessing flow. But sure, I'm going into captivity. He says, but I'm going to keep you in it. I'm going to keep you in it. Richard Baker, he's no Puritan. Listen to what he said. Other things may be worse for breaking. Yet a heart may never be at its best till it be broken. You know why? When a heart is broken before the Lord, when a heart is down as low as it can get, the carnality of you thinking you can achieve anything without him goes out the window. And you realize everything is of him. Everything is of him. Listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 14. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thought lodge within thee? I could put Belfast in there, Portadown in there, Londonderry in there. I could put Dublin in there, London in there, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Cardiff. We could go on and on. We could put it in there and we see what's going on in our land. We say, you know, so what's your excuse? And what will it be when this nation stands before God? They have none. So Jeremiah 14 and verse 13, please, as we move to close these up, because I want to just do these points. We're going on to something completely different next week in the Lord's will. Jeremiah 14, this is the third one. And that's where I run down to verse 13. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, You shall not see the sword, neither shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. This is Jeremiah's third, our Lord God. You know, he turns to the Lord and he says, there's prophets in the land and they're saying they're bringing the word of the Lord just as I am. But Lord, I'm really, I'm hitting them with harder stuff. I'm giving them things that are hitting home to the heart maybe. I'm getting, giving them words that or maybe troubling them or stirring them up. And these other prophets are coming and they're saying, it's all hearts and flowers and candy floss, basically. It's all going to be great and live what, how you like and do what you want. But me, Lord, they hate me and they're throwing me into a pit. Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, ye shall not see sword, neither shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And Jeremiah is saying, Lord, you know that the, the sword is coming. You know that trouble is here and the people are looking for the, the, the nice stuff. The nice stuff. 
Listen, brothers and sisters, I know. I know of all the, you know, all, all the things that is, there's no substance of the word and, 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 and some of it. And I know there's, there's those that come up and they, they tell you little stories and illustrations that they have maybe their place. And, but, but most of it is like furry tales or most of it is about pride and boasting and most of it is about feeding the flesh, the flesh of men and women because that's what we are. We're fleshy. And the spirit wars or lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And we, we want that because we're natural human carnal beings. But as believers, we are to overcome the flesh with the spirit. When you go home, read Romans chapter 8. The whole chapter is about it. And you and I maybe see these things and there's some people love it when someone talks straight out of the word of God. I know that. I love to hear it straight to the point. I used to love more whenever I heard the word and the pastor preached it and it hit my heart and it challenged me. I loved going home to be challenged because I'll tell you what I used to do. I used to get in my car, go down the road, park up and I used to go for a walk. For I used to say, get away out and go for a walk and talk to the Lord. And I was challenged. It wasn't condemnation. It was a challenge from the Spirit. It was a challenge from the Spirit. And I loved it more than the times when something made me feel good or glorious. Because every time there's a challenge, even a conviction in the heart, it's pointing out to us that the God loves us so much he wants to bring us closer. To move us on with him. But many people say no and they make up their excuse. Ah Lord God I can't. Ah Lord God the people. Ah Lord God now it's the prophets. What's your excuse then? I can't because of him or her. Again, the wife or the husband. I can't because of the boyfriend or the girlfriend. I can't because I'll only lose them. I can't because of the family. I can't because of work. I can't because of whatever. And we we look for someone to blame. And that comes from the fall in the Garden of Eden. Adam said to the Lord, The woman that you gave me, she made me do it. The woman, he says to the Lord, this woman, that you, God, you gave her to me. She made me do it. That was Adam's excuse. Boy, I went out for a walk yesterday. I took the dog out. I said, Alison, I want to go out by myself because I need to run a few things over with the Lord. I need to talk to the Lord. And again, the dog's a good cover when you're walking up the road because people think you're talking to the dog and not to yourself. I'm walking with the dog and I'm talking away and I'm thinking, they'll think I'm talking to him. Talking to the Lord and I walked a good while anyhow. Must be not over an hour. Lord, what, what excuses am I making What excuses am I making? Show them to me that I've made to you why I haven't done 
what maybe you've told me to do. Show me it, Lord. Kept asking him for an hour, and he showed me some things. I had to, I had to yield over to him to give it to him. And I wonder what he would say to you this morning. Maybe in the last while, what has been the excuse why you haven't? You know, that man in church, he hurt me. That woman in church, she hurt me. Listen, I understand that. I understand that. But can I say this, and I say this, and I don't mean to upset, I don't mean to discourage. That man and woman in church didn't save you. And that man and woman in church didn't forgive you. Only Christ has done that. Only Christ has done that. But I got hurt, yeah. We all have. Every one of us have. And that makes us all realize there's not one of us better than the other. Did we get that? There's not one of us better than the other. We all hurt each other. Maybe even unknowingly, but it still happens. So when you point at a man or a woman while you haven't been out to the meeting, what is your excuse? Are they your excuse? Are you going to tell the Lord that? Is that what you're going to do? Oh, the music's brilliant down there. I'm going down there because I have flashing lights and smoke machines. That's the flesh. That's not spirit. That's the flesh. Is that your excuse? Lord, I get too comfortable at night before I come out and it's just face out the fire and the thought they're going to wait down to sit in that old tent. Now, last Sunday night, the heating went off. <laughs> there was a... It malfunctioned a bit, but it's all up and running now. Apparently, the winds will come in tonight as well, so we might have to... Turn the volume up a bit. But what's your excuse? Ronnie, Poland, how long do, how far did I come to go to a meeting? Stay for seven hours in a meeting at a time. Seven hours. What's our excuse, Lord? I would have stayed longer and I wouldn't have maybe give off, but I want to say, nobody's ever give off to me about any length of time here. Nobody. I I promise you they haven't. But some people will go, it's just a bit too long. I think think I'll go. Or the journey's just a bit too far. Or maybe the fire's just a bit too warm. What's your excuse then? So I'll finish this. The fourth is in Jeremiah 32. We'll do this just quickly. Jeremiah 32. And verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands, and recompensest 
the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work. For, for thine eyes are upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. See the difference from, Ah, oh Lord God, I can't speak for I'm just a child. Ah, oh Lord God, the people of Jerusalem. Ah, oh Lord God, the prophets. Listen, I could preach nice fluffy sermons and probably pack the place out with it. There's people really want the word. Notice Jeremiah is now saying, Lord, you're great. And no matter what you call me to, you'll equip me for. And I have no excuse before you. Listen to what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says. If you long to save men's souls, you must tell them a great deal of disagreeable truths. There's a lot of people will disagree with me. Disagree with me. But nevertheless, if it's true, it's true. If it's true, it's true. You know what? That really hit me in my heart. I didn't come for this on a Sunday morning. Yes, you did. You're here by God's sovereignty and his providence. Yes, you did. You might think you're not here to hear this. Yes, you are. God has brought you. Brothers and sisters, this is what I've written. I'd rather offend people into heaven with the truth than nurse them into hell with a lie. I'd rather offend people into heaven with the truth than nurse them into hell with a lie. Our Lord God, he says in his fourth one, So, brothers and sisters, the greatness of God has never changed from the first our Lord God in Jeremiah 1. The same God there is the same God Jeremiah has seen in the fourth our Lord God. Know who's changed? Jeremiah's changed. I can't, I can't. Now he gets to the end, he says, I can't, but you can. There's things I look at. Things I'm laying in bed at night looking at the ceiling or Maybe I have to get up or whatever, or go for my walk or whatever I do. And I, I, I look and see what's happening in CET and see what we're, what's looking ahead for us and wondering if there's going to be any breakthrough that we can move in and there's walls and things happen and disappointments and disillusionments in people. You're a hero, then you're a zero in the same day or maybe even in the same hour. You're the best, then you're the worst. You're helpful, and then act, you're hopeless. And you can help some of the people some of the time, but not all of the people all of the time. And your head's spinning around, and I see the impossibility of it. But sometimes, if I allow it, I would be thinking, just like you, Lord, oh Lord, God, I can't. But listen, he's the same. Because when I come through it, I realize, oh Lord God, it's all about you. It's all that you do. You are the God and there's nothing that is impossible with you. Brothers and sisters, what is your excuse? What is your excuse if God has been dealing with you? You know, you haven't been up to scratch with me. You haven't been in the place of prayer, worship and fellowship with me. You remember, you used to be out at meetings. As soon as the place was open, you were nearly the first in the chair. 
You were excited. I remember when I was going, me and Alison were going away. Well, we went away for, to Crete for two weeks and we were depressed. It's the truth, weren't we? We were depressed. You know why? Because we missed our church. We were depressed because we were missing the worship. We were missing the fellowship. We were missing hearing the word of God. And we were over in Crete. Oh, yes, we had a good time. We splashed about in the pool and we went for a walk. But then we were sitting thinking, what do you do after that? Think about it. You walk along the beach and there's all these outlaws and old dolls laying about the place. It's like a, a field of flesh. But all of it is going to die. All of it will fade away. They'll go to the house of mourning. But he remains the same forever. But he remains the same forever. And that's what we put. Look, there's nothing wrong with going on your holiday. I like a holiday too. Don't get me wrong. But that's what we put our minds on. When the eternal is there all the time and we disregard him. So what is your excuse then? I trust you'll answer the call of God. If you're not saved this morning, I trust you'll come and see me. Because what's your excuse? Should you stand before God?